Hello, and welcome to this special edition of Screen International's award season podcast series. I'm Matt Mueller, the editor of Screen International, and today we speak to Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, the screenwriters of Avengers Endgame. The Walt Disney Studios motion pictures release has become the highest grossing film of all time with $2.8 billion at the global box office. Christopher and Stephen, who are also co-producers on the Marvel Studios production, spoke to my Screen International colleague Michael Rosser about the screenwriters who most inspire them and their relationship with Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige. But first, the pair responded to the film's global success at the box office and audience reaction. Hello, I'm Michael Rosser for Screen International, and it's my great pleasure to be joined by two writers who wiped out half the universe and then brought them back with a snap of their fingers. Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Good to be here. So as we record this, it's been five months since the release of Avengers Endgame, and it's been seen by audiences around the world, becoming the biggest movie of all time at the worldwide box office with close to 2.8 billion, I believe. Something like it. Yeah. Um, so now that we can flash up five months later <laughs> yes, uh, in your own personal stories, have you had the chance to reflect on this amazing achievement? Uh, well, it's a hard thing to take in. It's a, it's like looking at the Grand Canyon. It, it's very, very big and kind of hard to find your spot in it. But I, when I think about it, and you think about that box office number, what that number has to mean is repeat viewings and that's not because you know people like the punching it's because there's a real emotional element in there an experience that they want to go to again and 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 want to feel again and want to go through again and to have achieved that on on this large of a scale is really satisfying it's repeat viewing and it's also um international viewing. I mean, I, I, I'm, you shouldn't be doing this on YouTube, right? You shouldn't be taking your camera into movie theaters, but I, I've watched shots of people in India and, you know, all parts of the world. Um, uh, and the audience just gets on their feet and screams at various times in the movie theater. And the fact that, 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 that that can happen throughout all these different cultures is, Really gratifying. It's oh, it's yeah. That's that's why it's at two point eight billion. Was there a particular moment in sort of you know seeing audience reactions that you were pleasantly surprised at a, a gasp or? Oh, the big ones come at the end sure. for me. Uh, uh, but when if you're a fan, uh, even a passing fan, when Steve Rogers is facing a ridiculous alien horde and is clearly going to go down swinging, and this little crackle happens in his ear. And Sam Wilson, who's been dead for five years, says, on your left. And the ripple effect of what that means is coming is, I've seen people cry. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just the calories here. It's, oh, it, it's, it's this explosion of emotion, that 22 years of built up investment. I mean, that's, the, that's what we're really talking about. You get to that kind of box office number because of the investment of the serialized storytelling. Uh, that's the big moment for me is that portal scene, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I know this has been a long journey mm. uh, for you both at Marvel, which began around 10 years ago, I think, on Captain America, the first Avenger. Yes. Can you talk about exactly when you heard about that opportunity and how you got the job? Iron Man had come out. I think that was it. Iron Man had come out, and we, our agent told us that they were thinking of making a Captain America movie, which was really interesting to us because we had actually talked about 
what if you made a character, you made a comic book movie that took place at the time when the character was actually created? Because so many of these great characters came out in the 30s or early 40s, and we're speaking to a societal need of the time. And when you transpose them to now, sometimes they don't work as well. So what if you took those societal needs and did it there? And Cap is probably the one who you need to do that most of all, because he makes absolutely no sense unless he comes from 1940. We were, we were like, that. yeah, we want to go talk about that. <laughs> so we chased it all, all that summer of 2008. As a side note, we we were very aware that Iron Man came out because we had a movie opening on Iron Man's second weekend, which was called Prince Caspian. It did not do nearly as well <laughs> because Robert Downey Jr. was running roughshod over Hollywood. Um, and so we spent that whole summer trying to get that job. And that meant reading comics, going to uh, every comic book store in Los Angeles and getting those big compendiums that don't, don't have any color in them, you know, and just reading all we could. Uh, and eventually got the job around the holidays of 2008, mostly just by sheer enthusiasm. I don't know if it was any brilliant idea we pitched well, Also, <laughs> you know, even those meetings were collaborative. I mean, Marvel is a very collaborative company. And more than pitches, they were sitting at a table with Kevin and, and Stephen Broussard and talking about what a Captain America movie could be were you to tackle it. And, you know, and I think we developed a, a relationship even before we had the job that is, is part of the reason why we've had such a long run there is because that's how we like to work and it's how they like to work and it, it's a good fit. And you worked across three Narnia films, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, we were second writers in on the first one, and then we were the sole writers with Andrew Adamson on the second one, and then we were the first writers in on the third one, and then were asked to leave Narnia. And, and I wonder if there was anything that you learned in particular from you know working in that universe that you then brought to another universe. Um, we learned a lot. I mean, that really was our introduction to big budget filmmaking we'd had one movie made prior to that and i don't think it had come out yet and that was the life and death and that's right. yeah yeah right. that's right you know and they're very effects heavy and uh there was a lot of of previs and watching the movie before it was made and it was very instructive about that level of storytelling but it was also kind of reassuring in that those movies only work when you are there with those kids emotionally. And to know that even, even a movie of this scale and this budget is dependent on the personal, is dependent on, on the emotions of the characters as opposed to, you know, how many lions you can make talk. <laughs> so you went on to write Thor The Dark World. In part, yes. In part, yeah. Uh, and work with the Russo brothers on the next two Captain America movies, The Winter mm -hmm. Soldier and Civil War. So when were you first approached about writing Avengers, Infinity War and Endgame? Uh, it was um, maybe a... Oh, oh, we were well into writing and prepping Civil War, but we hadn't shot it yet. So it was probably Christmas of 2014. Wow. And Joe Russo comes into our office and says, because at that point we were juggling the Agent Carter television show and Civil War. And we were 
I think it's okay to say a bit fried mm-hmm. uh, because that was a, those were long days where there's a writer's room downstairs and we would visit there in the afternoon, but we try to crack the movie in the in the morning. And uh, Joe said, "It looks like they're gonna offer us the next two Avengers movies," and I'm pretty sure you you just groaned. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I because I mean we it has been one continuous job effectively since we got um cap one and civil war came very quickly after after winter soldier who basically never never dismantled the team we just rolled into that and i i i was looking forward to a break uh but instead came the two biggest movies ever made right. and uh, we just kind of nodded and went you're out of your mind but come back and talk to us again it meant we had to really think about what we wanted out of our lives and out of our careers. And it meant, um, you know, you've heard this before, the idea that that uh, if something scares you, maybe you ought to try to do it. Um, it certainly is scary to say you're going to shoot two huge movies back to back with the cast, the size of which we were talking about, the ambition that Infinity War connotes right? mm-hmm. um and so there was a, a, a and avengers was a huge big great movie you know and ultron hadn't come out yet by this point uh and so we didn't know if we were going to fall flat on our face or whether we could do this but we knew it was the biggest puzzle as screenwriters we'd ever have to put together and so that even even with all the anxiety i think that's what pushed us forward is that the challenge is was too great to pass up yeah now, I've heard about this 60-page um, document mm, I, uh, um, that you wrote going into this. What can you reveal about the, you know, some of the more in, you know, juicier contents of that? Well, um, a lot of nudity. <laughs> um, it, well, you know, we've called it a manifesto, which is really the wrong. It's the exact opposite of a manifesto. It's 60 pages of, of completely contradictory ideas. It's just a list of things that could happen. Uh, you know, storylines that have been left dangling that you could pick up, things that happen in the comics that they have the rights to the characters for, and as many uh, weird team-ups as we could think of, where, like, these two people have never been on the screen together. You're probably going to need to do that. And it really was a, a... It was a kind of a starting point to, like, let's narrow down what the collective consciousness is on this movie. Literally circle, circle what you like, get a highlighter out and go like, I like that. And I like that. And I like that. Um, it's like planning your wedding, you know, and you have to you sit down and decide what the napkin's going to be. And you're going to have, you have to taste the chicken and taste the fish. And turns out you have feelings about napkins that you never knew yeah. you had. <laughs> turns out you're vehemently opposed to a certain kind of chair. Um, we did it during the shooting of civil war where, Everyone else was very busy making that movie. We we would check in in the morning, rewrite what needed to be rewritten, and we're free for the rest of the day to kind of read every comic book we could find and plumb the depths of of Marvel. And it was a lot of really important R&D to just ingest into our brains whether or not it was literally the plot that was going to be on screen. It was, you know, we learned everything. Mm. Because I wonder if there's a sort of 
Marvel list of do's and don'ts. Like when they when when you kind of first work with them or something that they say, you know, let's let's not do this. But it does sound like an exceptionally free environment as well. Yeah, I mean, Kevin, I think is smart enough to know that if he starts limiting you early, he's going to, you know, cut off avenues that might be fruitful. So there's certainly things that we pitch event that that don't get any traction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are things that, that'll make third and fourth drafts that eventually people will go, yeah, we probably either can't afford or don't want to do that. But that's not early. Um, early was just, literally, it's uh, it's called Infinity War. It's got Thanos in it, and it's got six stones. You know about those. And he probably gets them. <laughs> and that's sort of what we, we had to work with. And uh, a mission to make it as epic as you can make it. Use anybody you can use. But, you know, there are so many moving pieces in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, and they all need to connect somehow. So to what extent do you work with the talent behind Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Spider-Man, Far From Home, all of which would impact and were Mm. impacted in some way by these movies? Uh, Well, on a a basic level, you read every script that you can get a hold of. see every movie you can get a hold of and talk to the people when they're available. Sometimes it's literally, I, I remember Steve coming back from the bathroom and going, I just met Taika Waititi. <laughs> and it's just like, I'm not going to ask the circumstances of that. Um, other times it's arranged meetings and you try to absorb as much as they're doing. A lot of the time you have to go out on your own and hope, you know, the, that your respect for the character is is going to prevent you from doing something so egregious that it conflicts with their movie because the schedules are so varying that you know we'll be shooting stuff before they do and they're going to come out first and it it gets very um, it's impossible to have a completely regimented marching order. Um, Marvel has their own sort of internal logistics. Each there's, there's one, it's Kevin overall, but then there's one producer on each project, and they're doing a lot of talking, from what I can tell. Is it the, the Marvel Parliament? They call yes. themselves the Parliament. Yes. Right. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I'm not going to make any further comments. Yeah. On no, I I, sure, I, I don't know who named it. It's, it's despite that, it seems very well run. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, th- there are things that are seeded in these other movies mm, that yeah. sort of pay off. And yeah. and so is some of that, how much of that is by design? It's it, 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 sometimes I, again, I'm not with Kevin 24 hours a day, but I have to imagine sometimes he giggles at the idea that this has all been super planned, right? Because uh, uh, there are certainly ambitions, but if this whole thing was regimentally scripted and planned for years and years out, you wouldn't have very good movies. You wouldn't have chances to surprise. So uh, yes, there are. there's an ambition, like I, I, even probably in 2012, uh, they were thinking, it would be great if Thanos came back and, and united everyone against him, right? But they, but didn't take too many steps to do that. It is, sometimes those things are deliberately planted. Um, sometimes you drop you know, you're when you know you're in an interconnected universe, it's fun to just sort of mention things without knowing whether it's going to get picked up or not. Like we we say the words Stephen Strange in in Winter Soldier. I still don't completely know how they know about, but 
it's just fun to do that. And you can go go back later and go, nah, now we can pick it up. You know, didn't not fully have the intention of, of picking it up again, but... Uh, but in general, Marvel wants to make the best movie in front of them. Yeah. Um, so that uh, there's... I, I really can't think of an instance where, uh, say, something we could have used um, is purposely kicked to another movie, mm. right? Because, oh, it would be better six years from now or something. We did... Um specifically speak to the folks making Ant-Man and Wasp and Captain Marvel about like, okay, you two come in between yeah, our two the, movies. We really need these those, two endings. Those were, yeah, that's a unique situation. Usually it's not that, but we needed at least one person trapped in the quantum realm and <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige mm-hmm is very much seen as the architect of all this, overseeing the incredible success uh, of the MCU. Can you talk about how your dealings with him shaped the script for Endgame? Hmm. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he lets people do their best work, but he is an incredibly sharp um, audience goer. Uh, he's a great storyteller. Um, and yet he doesn't write and he doesn't direct, but he's a great storyteller. So uh, he, how do I put this? Um, he, if, you, if you're thinking too small, he'll remind you not to think small. I, I specifically remember we're making, uh, we're about to shoot a bunch of stuff for Infinity War. And he brought in uh, sort of the big omnibus uh, with all these dog-eared, uh, you know, posted papers, you know, pages all over the place. And he wanted to flip through and make sure that we were being as crazy as Jim Starlin was, Mm -hmm. right? To make sure that there was a cosmic element to it, that we weren't missing some of the trippy nature of of his comic. Uh, Because, you know, at some point we have to make a grounded movie and it it can't always be this this trip. Uh, But by doing that, a number of things got into the movie, or at least we we pushed things even further. You know, things got... Uh, sort of nuttier, I think that 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 wizard duel on Titan at the end of uh, Infinity War, uh, where Thanos fights Doctor Strange and things get really weird, is sort of uh, a child of that, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I hear there was a, a a scene where was it Strange was going to blow Thanos's mind. Oh, you've done your homework. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> can you talk about that. Yeah, he was. Uh, it was not unlike when in the original Doctor Strange movie, uh, the Ancient One smacks him on the head. He goes astral out of his uh, body and experiences the the depths of the universe and hands grow out of fingers and all the weird stuff. Um, basically, Strange did the same thing to Thanos. And we got a sense of, you know, the destruction that Thanos has caused throughout the universe and the the souls that might be crying out for justice. And eventually he was brought before this character from the MC, uh, not the MCU, just the MU, uh, the Living Tribunal, who is a cosmic judge with three faces, um, who pronounced him guilty. And it, <laughs> it was very trippy. Um but also, it completely took you out. You're in the middle of a battle. And now you're pressing pause on a battle to have a, a psychedelic experience and then come back. Takes, you know, it, it deflates the tension. It also, 
posits a higher authority, you know, whether it's a hallucination or not, you know, if you start saying there are gods, I mean, not that people are celestials, yeah, to cel- be fair, yeah. Then you're going, well, why don't they just, what are the stakes now? These guys can come in and stop it. There's a judge. Um, so it's not the kind of thing you want to drop lightly into the, into seemed, the climax of your movie. It seemed tough for Act 3. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Um, so 11 years, 21 interconnecting movies. This mm. has never been done before. No. Um, writers usually draw on inspirations that inform how they tell their stories. Um, but what else... Is there like this? I mean, were there any movies at all that would come to mind when you were writing this? Hmm. Um, We joked about it's a mad, 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 mad world. (laughs) Um, But no, we sometimes we talk about Game of Thrones uh, and 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 remind ourselves that there were characters uh, over the course of that series who we, the audience, knew very well and 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 knew were in that series and were part of the story, but had never met. You know, and that somehow didn't. I was never triggered by that, and and sometimes I would I, I was eager to watch them meet, and we knew that that would be part of the secret sauce of this movie. This the anticipation of your two favorite characters from different mm-hmm. franchises coming together. Although that was almost more more Infinity, Infinity War. War than Endgame. Yeah. You know, I, we often do have template movies for for things we write where you can just learn. You know, the Winter Soldier is very much inspired by the 70s paranoid thrillers. This really didn't. I mean, you could maybe it's like Godfather 2, you know, something giant and sprawling. Um, but it really is the, the end result of 21 preceding movies. It's, it is not beholden to the comics. It's not beholden to, um, you know, another movie we were trying to ape. It is the, it is the climax of, 22 movies of storytelling, um, which I think you're right, has never been done before and was kind of, it was a, it was a big challenge and a big honor to, to be handed all these strings from all these other artists to go, you know, okay, now tie them up. Right. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, the, the fact that we didn't fall on our faces is, is remarkable to me. So how long, how long did it take you to actually break the story? Well, um, we got serious about breaking it, uh, say, September of 2015. Uh, and that the next four months, we were locked in a conference room, um, broke both. So we had two outlines by January of uh, 16, and then went to draft on both those scripts. Now, they, in general, they changed plenty, but... The stories essentially were the same. The end of the first movie was a snap, and the end of the second movie was Tony's death and Steve going back in time and all that. So the big plot points were always the same. So you knew that uh, the death of Tony Stark was coming many years Isn't before. Isn't that weird? Yeah, yes. we've been sitting on Tony's uh, demise do you, for uh, years. Do you not yeah. sort of just walk around thinking, oh, God, <laughs> I hope no one can read I, my mind? I have often thought it's really important, because I take pictures of the, of the whiteboard at the end of every day to make sure that you know we don't lose any 
any work uh, in case maintenance accidentally erased it or something. Yeah. And I've often thought that if I were mugged from my phone, it would be bad news for Marvel. People <laughs> hacking your phone as you say this now. Uh, well, I've <laughs> seen that. I've seen that. Actually, seen that photo, and I, it just looks like Tony Pies. Mm-hmm. Tony, Tony Pies. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's the secret code. So that <laughs> if someone were to walk know. in, they would go, "Oh, Tony Pies." It's <laughs> a clearly a movie about baking. This, this sounds delicious. Um, um, so before we get back to the movie at hand Mm. um who are your top movie writers of all time and what are your favorite scripts oh um i like lawrence kasdan you know that's a guy who early on i went oh look at those are be nice to do those type of types of movies um robert town sure um everybody's william goldman i mean it's I, i i've we have a, um, a a TV in our office that's always on in the, in the lobby, right? And I just I lose many many minutes just watching when uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid is just on all day. It's, it's just a lovely movie. Um, you know, I mean, it's weird that we, we're as subject to to the over promotion of directors throughout the ages <laughs> as everybody else so it's hard to bring the writers names to mind of your favorite movies but they're um and now i'm doing a disservice to them but obviously you know <laughs> having written um mm-hmm. many scripts yourself is there a, is there a, do you each have a script of someone else's that you think you know oh that was a great script uh mm-hmm. one of the reasons I'll just steal this and, and Chris won't get to answer. Uh, one of the reasons Damn we you. we got into this is because we met in grad school around the time a movie called Seven came out. And we watched that with a bunch of our friends and it scared the pants off of us. And But most importantly, uh, it was a tight, tight script. I mean, it's dark and macabre, and, but so much of the violence and the gore is in your head. It's not necessarily on the screen. Um, but it's just a Swiss watch of a movie that by the time he walks into the uh, police station at the end of Act 2 and says, detectives, you have no idea where this movie's going. And I love that. And and so uh, that's Andrew Kevin Walker. Uh, and it, it's actually something we tried to ape in Civil War, just the idea where you don't quite know what your third act's going to be because you're off kilter. And having this guy in the background. Yeah, is... that's right. That's And that's the yeah, thing we couldn't talk about strings. you know, until the movie came out. Absolutely. Uh, I always go back to Chinatown. I mean, one, because it it is so complex, but it's also incredibly evocative on a scene-to-scene basis. Um, and for as much as it's an unraveling, there's there are things you still don't know. I mean, something terrible happened to Jake back when he was a cop in Chinatown. You never know. Like, but it's it's the it's the thing that haunts him throughout the movie. God, it's just beautiful. Makes me happy. Now, am I right in thinking that you were on set every day, pretty uh, much? But yeah, for the most part. Yeah, for the most part. I think I had a cold at one point. Well, you went to the hospital once too. Yeah. Well, that was from set. Oh right. So. Yeah. As a result of being, <laughs> it's a long story. It's, he was fine. <laughs> no, I was fine. It turns out, just in, if you were ever on a set, and it, if you have like muscle strain that happens to be in your chest, which is causing a pain in the area of your chest. If you say to the set medic, I have a chest pain, he is then required to call an ambulance by law. And I was like, not, no, wait, not, not that kind of chest pain. Too, Too late. late. <laughs> Too late. You said the word chest pain. So, now, it was a fun day. <laughs> um, 
So were you called in to address any issues like on those days you were oh, there? Oh, yeah. That's they were the, like writers? Yeah, we're not there just for, you know, our sparkling personalities. Uh, the On a big movie like this, um, sort of any blockbuster, I guess, uh, when you're shooting, let's call it a page a day, uh, the most important part of the day for the writer is the beginning uh, because you're going to block the scene. You know, the actors are going to talk to the directors and sort of block it out and decide what they're going to do for the day. And if any changes come out of that, either we realize this door is actually a window, so we got to rewrite that or um, uh, uh, an actor has an inspiration or in rehearsing it, somebody has a great idea, uh, then in that case, as they go back to makeup, uh, Chris and I huddle with Joan Anthony Russo and they say, all right, here's what's come out of this. So we're going to need a few alts for this idea or we're going to rewrite here or whatever. So then Chris and I are sort of valuable from eight to 10. Uh, and then once it's up on its feet, you know, it's probably going uh, to be that scene all day. And so that's when we go to craft services. But a lot of the time also, Joe and Anthony, you know, that's when we can get Joe and Anthony. Um, between shots to talk about a different scene. That's a good point. And they, particularly on these movies, they were, they assemble and edit with Jeff Ford, the editor, um, without whom we would not be here, every night. They assemble what mm -hmm. they've got and start looking at it and start forming opinions about what they need. And a lot of the time we'd meet with them on a Tuesday because Monday night they watch what we shot last thursday and go like yeah we need a we need a thing <laughs> right. there or it just doesn't make sense um so it was very much a sort of ongoing evaluation of what had come before so on a daily basis there it's assemble avengers yeah. exactly <laughs> well, terribly sorry. well played <laughs> terribly no. sorry whatever um, you do don't cut that out <laughs> <laughs> so was there a particular example of something where they said we need to approach this. In oh, for sure. Way. We, uh, if you, I'll go back to Infinity War. Mm -hmm. um, there's a uh, sequence uh, um, uh, where Doctor Strange and uh, Tony and Peter Parker are on a spaceship and they have to rescue Doctor Strange and make decisions. Uh, that scene, we probably shot that three times. Um, mo and we had various ways that to get Doctor Strange out of the bind he was in. Uh, but because that set was up and it was so big and we had the actors at various times, always... <laughs> Uh, we could take a few cracks at that scene. Um, so we eventually settled on a much simpler scene. And we had a, it was a very heavy action scene that the movie didn't want at that point. So we have a much simpler uh, scene where uh, uh, it's sort of an homage to uh, to aliens. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. And where they just blow a hole in the ship and <laughs> suck the bad guy out. Yeah. And to some extent, Indiana Jones. Yes, yeah, so there's the swordsman fight. Yeah. The, yeah. the aborted swordsman's fight. So by now, these actors have spent many years with these characters. So to what extent could, you know, Robert Downey Jr. suggest a different approach for, you know, his delivery? Oh, I mean, he can do it anytime he wants. He does do it often um, because he is, you know, he digests this whole thing prior. And that's his process is to sort of take in what you've written, verbalize it, I'd never experienced anybody work this way. Um, he he takes in your script. It comes back out of him slightly rephrased. He writes it down, gives it back to you. It's all it's a it's fascinating. It because it it's part of him keeping it somewhat improvisatory for himself, which is how he works, even though it's pre-planned. 
you kind of doesn't love saying the same line more than once. <laughs> so if we are having this scene here where he's being interviewed and we did this take over and over again, he wouldn't, even if I said, hi, Mike, you know, they, the next time it would be, what's up, Mike? And the next time it would be, Mike, it's very good to see you today. Like, he would never say hi, Mike, again. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, like, really important nouns that you really need in there fall out. <laughs> and you're like, okay, no, like... Got to say quantum realm. Please, please say that. <laughs> so it's interesting, therefore, that his death scene, which I, I understand, you know, there was something something of a speech. Mm. Um, I understand that he took that down to... Oh, to he's almost not, nothing. Yeah. 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 And that's a good example of, um, you know, you can imagine when we're writing it... Uh, you know, we feel the obligation to send Tony Stark on his way, particularly in the first draft. And we want to make sure that our readers, which are, in this case, all the production people, get a little tear in their eyes. So we do our damnedest to, to make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's Robert when he gets there, uh, and that's approaching for many months. He knows what's coming, and I'm sure he's thinking about it. And he's got ideas, and he wants, he wants much less. And he was right, ultimately, because what I didn't quite understand was the guy who always had something to say throughout all of these movies, suddenly rendered speechless mm -hmm. is the most heartbreaking thing you can do in that moment. Yeah. Uh, is, and that's because he's a really good instinctive actor, yeah. you know? And also, I mean, there's a, on a character level, Tony is so verbal and do, always doing this tap dancing, partly out of some sort of anxiety. And, if he still had that, even after he had saved the world and was about to die, it actually would be tragic. But there, it, there is something great about him finally not having to do that anymore. You know, the, the, the voices in his head have quieted. You know, it requires dying, but it, it's nice that it happened. So there's a speech out there somewhere that will never see the light of day. Mm. It wasn't so much. That wasn't most, a speech. It was, yeah, it was. A lot of people was, getting their chance yeah, to say goodbye. Yeah, because right. so, we had all the important characters right there. It was like, well, he's got to say something sure. to Cap. And, well, you know. It's a bit of a receiving line. Yeah, and so that hey, Tony, don't die yet. I, 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 I got something. That's right. They took a number. <laughs> now, this might be quite a short uh, answer, but. As I understand it, Endgame was about 99% done before Infinity War came out. Is that right in terms of the... Oh, yeah, no. it's probably more in the high 80s, but yeah. So I, I, I just wonder if the reaction um, to Infinity War from the overall movie to individual moments, if that inspired any changes whatsoever to Endgame. I don't know if... I don't know about changes. It, certainly a confidence to lean into things. If, Such as? If people had been totally blasé about the snap and the ending of Infinity War, you know, there might have been some sort of rethinking of Endgame. Because, but I don't, I don't know if we would have even had the ability to change anything by that point, but we take a really long time sitting in the aftermath of the snap. And I mean, we take five years and the taking it very seriously and taking the after effects of it very seriously. And it was what we all wanted to do when we set out. If people were like, that's eh, a gimmick. Um, you know, those that that's nearly an hour of filmmaking that they've already dismissed as it doesn't matter. Because there were people crying in the movie theater who didn't get up and, you know, were just like, oh, 
we knew like oh this is yeah act one's gonna work yeah, yeah. it's yeah. gonna be good yeah. absolutely um now superhero movies have rarely been nominated for academy awards mm. let alone win uh, for anything beyond uh, the technical categories mm. uh, logan was nominated for uh, best adapted screenplay and black panther mm. finally uh, be, you know became the first superhero movie to be nominated for best film at the mm. oscars in 2019 do you think that the performances direction and you know and of course the writing deserves more recognition in that regard I, uh, for the genre, I can't speak. I think it's on, it's on an individual basis. I mean, I think Endgame is a unique accomplishment by a lot, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, it's the it's strange to be talking about uh, the 22nd movie in a franchise that delivers the most emotional moments. I'd argue probably in cinema this year. <laughs> um, uh, so that's... That's a testament to Kevin Feige and to Joan Anthony Russo and, you know, the the departments that have been on this movie. Uh, basically, as I said earlier, like, we only got here because uh, everybody from Winter Soldier to Civil War to Infinity War to Endgame is all basically the same team. So, so there's a there's sort of a handcraftedness to all of this because we've been we've been working together for so long. I mean, it's a it is a testament to how genuine the work on these movies has been that the emotion is so high when they come to this endpoint. I mean, when Tony dies, that is this emotional payoff that has been building for however many years. of the 22 that he's been in. And he has crafted a genuine character that people have fallen in love with. And it is not oh, we really like that guy because he's the same every time. He has evolved, he has changed, he's overcome these difficulties. And that, you know, that is a rare opportunity for an actor. And I think he just destroyed it. So on, on you know, on an acting level, a directing level, it, it, I think it is unprecedented. Uh, so can you talk about what's next for you guys, is uh -huh. it that long-awaited vacation? Oh my God, I wish. Uh, ah, yeah. this uh, this isn't this my vacation? That's right. Uh, we started a studio with the Russo brothers, um, uh, and so we've been at it about a year and a half now. Uh, where Chris and I are the oh sort of quality control uh, uh, writing room in a way. So trying to re replicate what we did, what we the process we we all developed working on the last four Marvel movies. So. Writers come in and sit with us and we help them crack the story and then they go off and write the first draft and we give them notes. And the idea is that it's like a proper studio, except the notes you're getting are from Joe and Anth and me and Chris. Yeah, from and maybe they're, they're not executive notes, they're constructive, creative the filmmaker notes so that it's not just what we find that's wrong with what you've done, it's advice on how to fix it or, you know, really uh, targeted Right. criticism so we'll write one big movie a year for the company and then a couple smaller ones and um the first one that that hopefully goes into production that chris and i wrote um is a story about uh, cambridge analytica uh, and that's hopefully next year excellent um and what's that called at the moment um, no title yet yes it was no title. untitled cambridge analytica project yeah <laughs> um and uh, i mean i know that 
Kevin Feige is signed up to work on a new Star Wars movie. Yeah, that was uh, interesting. Uh, it's exciting, right? And your guy, Chris Evans, is uh, seems keen to be interested. Oh, in Oh, did he say something? I didn't even. Know. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wonder if that might, you know, bring you back to another epic universe. Oh, jeez. I, I don't. Uh, I, Kevin's got my number. Ke- <laughs> I, I hope the cloning has gone well and that the, the new Kevin's two and three are up and running because that is a lot of work. I, I worry for his health. Yes. So I'm interested to know as we're starting to run out of time here, but I would like to ask about how you split responsibilities as writers, um, you know, and, and why do you work well together? I do all the verbs. Steve is more of a noun, man. Yeah. Um, no, no one handles <laughs> articles. Uh, we've developed a process over our 20 something years together uh, where we outline it together. And those are long, hard days where you're eliminating possibilities and seems like nothing gets done. Uh, And once we have a good outline, usually that's been blessed by producers or people who are paying us. um, We will then split, split that up. And uh, so each of us gets the pleasure of writing first drafts on our own, in our own time, in our own space. And we'll put that together at the end of every week and read it, but we won't touch it. And after five or six weeks of amassing, we'll have this sort of ugly draft that then the third part is we rewrite that together. And that's when we're back in the same room and getting in and out of the chair and revising things we haven't touched yet. And and that usually tends to lead to a draft in about uh, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why do you think you work so well together? Um, if you do. You don't have any choice. That's right. We learned the craft <laughs> together. That was That's an interesting idea that's just occurred to us, that yeah. that it's not like uh, I was a, an established novelist and or uh, had Chris come join me, right? Uh, or like, uh, it, let's say you're going to move it into an apartment with your significant other, right? Do they move in with you or do you move... Or you move into a new place together, right? So Chris and I moved into a new place together, which was learning how to write screenplays. So... I don't think there was any, no one was possessive about anything because mm-hmm. we didn't know what the heck we were doing. Mm-hmm. So looking back on the movie with some distance, mm. do you have a favorite line from Endgame? For some reason, I, and I can't completely say why, I'm really very fond of when Cap says, uh, when uh, Black Widow says it's going to work and he says, it, I know because I don't know what I'm going to do if it doesn't pleases me well it's fraught with yeah. anxiety yeah uh you know it's not the greatest line in the world but what it means and what the scene is is when cap leans over and whispers hail hydra i'm particularly chuffed by by that that was such a juicy moment when in my screening <laughs> so unfortunately that's all we have time for so it just remains for me to say thanks so much for your time christopher marcus and stephen McFeely. thank you, thank you sir. very much Thank you to our special guests, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Screen International podcast. Head over to ScreenDaily.com to keep up with all of our award season podcasts. The Screen International podcast is a PPM production. The producer is Rebecca Grisdale-Sherry. That's all for now. See you next time. 